Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Danilo from Thinking Critically here. Thinking Critically is a chat show podcast where we take a single concept or idea and discuss what it means within the Dungeons and Dragons framework. Each episode features a different guest from the TTRPG community, and so far I've welcomed actors, designers, and professional DMs. Consider it an NPR-style variety bucket of thought-provoking analysis and humorous anecdotes, where we cover all sorts of things, including the nitty-gritty of how to balance encounters, the perception of D&D in popular culture, and the impact it has on mental health. My hope is that each episode helps you get the most out of your sessions, whatever side of the screen you sit on. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit me at thinkingcritically.co.uk. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We are going to once again be diving into our Storyteller Toolbox. We have a topic tonight to go ahead and help you round out your games, help you bring some enjoyment to the game for your players in particular. But before we start diving into our topic tonight proper, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. Good to see you both again on this unusually late in the week evening for us. But with the July 4th holiday, we're recording on a Thursday instead of a Tuesday. So nice to see you guys though. It's been a while. Been a minute. Been a minute. Yeah, pleasure, to, pleasure to see you guys. Great to take the mic stand once again. Even though I have a headset on and not an extra so, mic so, stand. So, 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 you, haven't, you haven't taken I mean, the mic I, stand since we realized that's a bad setup for you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I still have no the mic stand. And, and I have designs on a microphone that will fit in said mic stand again, but... For the time why, being, we, this is why'd you are. possibly want to go back to that? That's what I don't understand, man. Stick with the microphone that, like, as you gesticulate around, goes with you. This is fantastic. Why, why mess with the thing mm-hmm. that's not broken? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for the same reason, I don't wear hats. I don't like things on my head. <laughs> How about you, Glenn? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have anything else for that one either, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. No. How about you? I'm doing so, pretty good. I'm doing pretty oh, good, man. I'm hanging I, I, out. I, I think uh, we have a very Connecticut. Yeah, but, uh, I was gonna say a very unexciting game of Where's Glenn this week, but uh, yeah, that's. I think yeah, you're, yeah, you're gonna yeah, be in Connecticut for a while. Nothing exciting except roll out over to East Lime to dump the poop tank. And yep. Aside yep. from that, we're right back where we is, were. Is that an appropriate place August to dump your poop 20, tank? Is, is East no. Lime? Yes. 
specifically at the KOA campground where we pay them to use their dump site. But yes. Ah, yeah, okay. All right. I wasn't sure if there was something about East Line around the boardwalk or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be no, poor. I, I go to the houses of people that I don't know and I pull a Christmas vacation and just stand there on the street with a hose. Yeah. Catch my poop. <laughs> <laughs> when they look at me funny, I'm like, "Shitter was full. It'll be great." Yeah. yeah. If it was oh, only a poor, he needs to have more. This episode has already degenerated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, this isn't any good, but that's okay. That's okay. It didn't this, take this us is, long today. It did not take us long today. We needed more content for the blooper episode, so I think that this will fill in. This yeah. will fill in nicely. We're already We've like halfway through shy. the year. This is a tightly run ship. <laughs> Normally, we are utmost professional, uh, and and tonight, so we just needed a little bit of, of not so much, not so much for tonight. If you're saying that we're halfway through the year and we don't have enough bloopers because we're starting to take our jobs too seriously, I actually have a problem with that. Yeah, we're gonna have to fix that. It's <laughs> we're gonna have to fix so, that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. Folks in our audience. I will make sure I create at least some blooper in every episode for the remainder of the oh, year. That is my pledge on Tuesday. No, well, you got to make a pledge. You didn't, even, you didn't oh, even need a pledge. No, this is the issue with the overpromising, my friend. There was no pledge required. <laughs> yeah, and not oh, just that, but oh, like, what, what goes into the bloopers are not just like moments that are funny. What goh- goes into the bloopers are moments that are legitimately someone messed up and it was funny. I may have to go, if tonight, if this year's uh, bloopers episode is low, I may have to go into the blackmail collection that I've got on both of you guys to go ahead and ensure that you never step out of line and start like tr- trotting some of that stuff out into the blooper episode. And nobody See, wants now, that. I thought that stuff was deemed too racy for the bloopers even. Yeah. Uh, uh, sure, I- but... But I'm not putting my stuff on there. Just be you two. The race. It's still on the Google Drive. I'll just have to find it. But yeah, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that, right? Yeah, because finding stuff on the Google Drive—that's what I'm well known for. I know. Bang! Exactly. You'd have to be able to type and search. Yeah, really. Oh, I'm hired. I know, right? I heard that. What I am known for, however, is running tabletop role-playing games, which is something that I've been putting a lot of planning into this this past week. Yeah, I've done a bunch of stuff. I will be running at the bunch of stuff, yes. Way to drag us back Um, on topically, Wanika. Good job. That's not even usually you. I know, it is not, (laughs) but sometimes big dogs got to bite the big bone. I'm going to leave it at that. Blooper! Oh my god, I have so many things to say to that, but all of them will go in Josh's secret files. (laughs) Not even a blooper. That was a blumpkin. Hey, pal, bro. <laughs> Let me bring this back. I am going to be running a bunch of games throughout July. I have planned to be running Star Trek Adventures at Drinking and Dragons. I'll be actually figuring out which specific module I'm running. Got it narrowed down to two or three. I'll be finishing up those plans tonight and tomorrow, submitting that. So I'll be one of several GMs running at that event. At the time of this recording, they had four tables left that were unclaimed by GMs running games. And I have heard there are some people looking. So I have been asking anybody in the Connecticut area to who is looking to run a game to check in to see if they wanted to run. By the time this airs, that ship will have sailed. However, it's a great event. They will. It'll be before the 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 announcement goes up for players to sign up for those tables. Pay attention to our channel, our Facebook group, and if you're in New England and want to go to a really fun straight up TRPG event, 
definitely check us out. The other thing yeah. that I am preparing to do is in conjunction with the Citadel Game Cellar, I will be running three separate sessions of Star Trek Adventures role-playing game by Modifius Entertainment at Terrificon 2023, which is held annually at Mohegan Sun. Citadel is always at this event. They have a great setup and they provide space for GMs who to run games for people who want to come to this big convention. And it's got everything from art to actors, stars in the hobby, artists, big companies, small companies, podcasters all over. So Tabletop Journeys will have a presence at the, that event as well. So yeah. a lot of That's good stuff hot. coming up and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. No, great. That's a great opportunity. I'm really looking forward to the fact that you're going to be get the chance to do that. We'll have to pick your brain when you come back and and talk about how it goes at Terrificon. And you're going to be running you're running a, several sessions, and it's all going to be the SCA starter set. Is that yes? Cool. I will. I don't know if I'm running all three parts of the starter set, or if I'll be running the same part multiple times. I'm going to let the players collected really make that determination yeah. as to whether I go forward or not. It is such a good module that I do get better at it every time I run it. And it has been different. I've now run it four different times and it has been different every time I ran, I've run it. And it's been fun every single time. I have not been a great module GM Correct. over yeah. the years. And there are very few modules that I've enjoyed running multiple times. I, I honestly can't think of any other than the initial red box, which I've run multiple times and always enjoyed that. I have run... A couple of the Northman adventures from the old Greyhawk adventures as well. I really am looking forward to this. Sorry, Loon. I didn't mean to imply that you have that, that, that when you said that you've never been a great a great module runner. I did not mean to say correct, as if I was implying that you have never been a great module <laughs> running DM. That's that is not the implication that I meant to have there. But I realized after I said it, I was no, like, no, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it sounded. That's totally how it sounded. No, I, yeah, took, that was, <laughs> I took it as how I think you intended it, which is it has never been a focus of the way I run your, games. Yeah, it's yeah, never yeah, been my exactly, favorite yeah. thing to do. Yeah, and uh, we've mentioned that before, uh, that, that modules were never really something that you enjoyed running. And really, when we first started running out of the Candlekeep Mysteries, that was really kind of the first time that you were like, these are missions that I think I could run start to finish as a box. And yeah, it's cool. And that enjoy. The, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it says a lot about, about the set. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. The STA starter set blends the best of mod, the best parts of modules, and the best parts of open homebrew gaming. But that is a strength of the Star Trek Adventures role playing system that allows that to happen. Yeah. The writers are amazing in, in, with the products, anyway. But it is the role playing system that really allows my homebrew to come to the fore. With all of that, uh, with all that that opening salvo in here, let's get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's episode. So tonight, like I said earlier in the show opening, there we're going to be diving into our storyteller toolbox once again, and tonight we're going to be talking about rewarding your players at the table and ways to think out of the box to go ahead and to give rewards that are more than just experience points, more than just gold, more than just loot, that kind of thing, and try to figure out how you can approach the question of rewarding your players in a way that makes that transaction for them meaningful and the, the things that you should be keying in on to rewards. Lunica, I'm going to start with you tonight to go ahead and get your thoughts in general on the topic, and we will once again, uh, we'll, as always, see where we go from there. But what are your thoughts? Like, how do you feel like rewards work best at your table? And what are the kind of things that you look for as a storyteller? 
as a storyteller, the thing that I really try to do is reward for ingenuitive play. And different systems have different mechanics for that. STA has determination and momentum. And some of those are mechanical that are rolled, but some of it is just stuff that you do. You can take the mechanical roles in STA as a storyteller and say, that was really a great thought. Like, they can give you a great idea. It's like, That's such a cool idea. This challenge doesn't have to be rolled. Or I'm now going to make that challenge smaller. And that's, again, a situation where the mechanics of the game allow for it because you ask the player their approach before you determine the level of difficulty. So if they give you a great approach, with that approach, what I was originally thinking, what may have been written in the module as a difficulty three is now going to be a difficulty two or a one. Or if it was really hot, or you're just like that, you just blew me away, I'm going to give it to you to zero because the reward then is at a zero difficulty, but a still with still that chance to fail, they now have the ability to gain more momentum. So while you are mm-hmm. allowing them to roll for the actual reward, use a storyteller, create the environment for said reward. Just the fact that it's built into STA rewards, tonight's topic, it's already right there with the way they designed the momentum system. It's like an automatic spendable currency that is a player reward, even before the GM has to get involved with deciding if it needs to be awarded. It just happens if they get more successes than they need. And that's interesting. I hadn't necessarily thought about momentum as a as a reward until you said that. And I was like, oh, yeah. you're totally right. Yeah. yeah. I viewed it as more of a mechanical mm-hmm. result of what was going on and less of a reward in kind of the way that I was thinking about it. But you're right. Because yeah. you can shape the way a challenge is done, you can make the odds of them getting momentum better just by in the way that you structure the challenge. I hadn't really thought about that. That's a really great example. That is yeah, something I that, couldn't help but say it. I know we're really early in the discussion, and that was even still part of the pre-discussion, but I couldn't help but throw it out there to make sure we covered that, because Modiphius yeah. was brilliant in including that right into the game, taking it out of the DM's hands. You don't have to worry about thinking of this reward. You know? yeah. The biggest reward in that game is the momentum. There are things like determination. If players are utilizing their values and call that out, DM set up the scenario, values come in, players then utilize those values, challenge those values, or stick to those strengths. You can then reward them with determination. In that regard, it's similar to, but not exactly the same as inspiration by Watsi and 5e, which has luck points if you're in, or which will have luck points if you go into Tales of the Valiant as that is being rolled out. And there are other versions of it in Pathfinder 2 and Pathfinder 1. There are versions of this. Basically, these re-roll systems or what have you, I think it's much better designed in STA overall. But I think they all work as rewards. Inspiration is a great reward. I prefer more homebrew for inspiration. And we can talk about that more in greater detail at a later point. But I do think meta-currencies are great rewards for successful or interesting or useful or surprisingly good role play by your players, right? It's a meta currency. So any game system that has meta currencies in it at all, you have the ability to provide a built-in reward. You simply have to know how the system works, know how you would then be able to provide that meta currency. And then as a storyteller, create the situation where that has the best opportunity to exist. And I think that's the big takeaway system agnostic is as storytellers, 
as a storyteller, I like to create the opportunity within which my players can be successful and get those meta rewards in the game. Because it's a currency, you can be somewhat excessive with it, but it rarely breaks the game because it's built into these various systems. As long as you're using those mechanisms accurately, you're not breaking the game by providing those rewards, which is a danger with over-rewarding. And you don't want it to lose value by doing it too much. Yeah. A lot of times when you play a game and it's built into the mechanics, you find that it automatically has a limiter built into it. Like you can't have more than one point of inspiration or you can't have more than six momentum at any given point in time. You have to use it or you lose it. But that's a cool thing too, since it's a currency and players tend to hoard it. The fact that they have to spend it in order to get more gets them to spend it, which is the fun of the thing anyway. So yeah, when it's built into the game, the mechanics help keep it from becoming too much. One of the things that I find difficult to navigate around is that a lot of times like the default reward for players is experience points, right? Because we want our players to advance through their characters. We want them to advance through the game. We want them to succeed. We want them to get more cool powers, all these sorts of things. In a game like Dungeons & Dragons, experience points is the way to go ahead and do it. However, if you are rewarding experience points for good role play, eventually what's going to happen is either you're not rewarding enough experience points to actually really tangibly make a difference, right? Or your players are going to start leveling at different times. And we've talked before about when we started talking about experience point systems, about the difference between if I'm running milestone and all of my characters are leveling up at the same time versus experience points, right? Do you really want one player to be at level 10 when everyone else is still level nine? Do you really want someone getting that additional feat or one player getting that additional thing? And what does that actually bring to your game? So that's one of those things that relying on kind of experience points points is tricky. And I certainly did it in my own game, right? Where it's every game, at the beginning of every game, I would do a couple of things. I would reward experience points for myself for what I thought was the best scene or the best, uh, maybe the best moment from a particular player. I thought, Joe Bob playing my goblin, you had the best scene last game. I'm going to give you 25 experience points or 100 experience points, whatever. And then the other thing that I would do is I would also poll my players and say, what was your favorite scene from last game? And whoever got the most votes in that also got experience points. And I thought, oh, here we go. I'm giving a little benefit. I'm trying to go ahead and improve the role play, blah, blah, blah. But really what it did was it stratified the players. And so was that actually a benefit at the end of the day? And I'm not sure that necessarily worked out the way that I wanted it to. I think you definitely don't want people advancing at different levels in the game. I think that's part of the draw to Milestone. But And even though 5e still leaves both open as an option, just based on the fact that Dungeons and Dragons, as it's progressed, has changed from varying experience tables for each class, where some advanced much quicker than others, to a uniform experience table where everybody advances the same, is a testament to the fact that everybody advancing differently created too much chaos, too much crunch, and it can make it a lot harder to balance encounters for your party, especially if you get more than a two to three level deficit. So I would definitely agree with you there that experience can be a tricky one to use as a reward. And it can also get overworked on the wheedling milking factor, which I admit I used to shamelessly do to Lee and so did everybody <laughs> else in his game. Because aside from his regular XP, at the end of it, he provided an open forum for remind me of the cool shit you did, and I'll tell you if you get any XP for it. And we would all be sitting there racking our brains, throwing out little things that we did. And he'd be like, okay, 25, 50. But if you're good at it, all that crap added up to an extra level every two games. 
<laughs> I used to call that system the milking system. I did two things when, and most of that was while I was playing Palladium and 2E. And actually, I did it for 3.5, the last campaign I ran for 3.5. Um, there were a couple things I really loved about that system. And since we're talking about rewards, I will talk specifically about milking. For anybody listening to the podcast, if you go back to the episode, I believe what we did XP and reward, I talked about the spreadsheet I had for my Palladium system. I'm not going to rehash that. I am going to say go back and listen to that XP milestone episode. We did a full episode on this specific reward topic. So I really recommend that episode. I thought it was a lot of fun to do. And I think it'll be very informative specifically to milking and that reward system. I was awarding XP to the group for the adventure. And that XP went to everybody, whether they were present or not. Right. So if somebody missed a game, they got that group XP also. So they killed 15 monsters. They got the XP for that. There was an XP total for the adventure session itself that I would work out based on the levels of difficulties as I saw them. There was nothing so good as encounter builders back then. It was all straw count in my brain, right? So I would figure out the XP I was going to reward for the adventure, and then every player would get their cut. And that would be even amongst the players in the campaign. And then what I would do is, like Glenn said, say to each player, what was, at one point it was five things. At some point I brought it down to three. And at some final point. It started out as unlimited, which was fantastic for the crazy milkers of Doom. It was like, tell me the things that you really, that you did in the game that you think are worthy of special experience. Now, there was two reasons why I did that. That was years before I was handling my own behavioral mental health stuff. So I struggled with remembering specific details. And I am bad at taking notes in a game session. And this is before I was recording games. So literally, I was writing down the things they were saying. And that's how I built my DM notes at the end of every session. So I was giving them experience points based on this, but it's how I built my notes at that time, which Glenn has spoken on several episodes about how I was so good at remembering NPCs and bringing that stuff up. The secret sauce is I was not particularly good at that. I built a system to make me look like I was good to at To get that. us to remind you of it. That's actually brilliant. I never realized that was what was behind it, my friend. That's actually why oh, I, I did had, that I had no because I went into a session. Yeah. Couldn't rem- <laughs> yeah, I literally couldn't remember any of the things that were done the session before. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, hey, tell me what you did. I want to give a war- experience for it. And everybody told me everything that happened in the game. And people got a lot better about remembering the game. It was a brilliant reward for that reason, but it was mechanically and mathematically tedious. It, we could burn an hour of actual playtime just rehashing right. the old session. And it was imbalanced, too, because yep. some people might, like myself, not to toot my own heart or anything, but Especially back then, I loved to play a character who came up with weird, outside-of-the-box ideas, who tried odd things that challenged my DM and made him crazy. And I wasn't afraid to wring every experience point I could out of the strange, weird ideas I had, binding strike with a whip around somebody's neck from up in a tree and jumping off the tree branch on the other side and making you figure out what that does to them and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So I would bring up every one of those and... Me and a couple of other people would be rolling in the XP, but then there was like Todd was 
okay at it, but he didn't remember as many details. And then he'd yep. wind up flagging in the background. And so it yep. can it can really easily become and stratif- like unwieldy. you said, Josh, it can stratify the players. And as we talk about yeah. rewards, we want to be careful that while I don't think storytellers need to be a hundred percent everybody gets the same stuff, because then it's not really a reward. One. It is important right. that the reality not create a perception of favoritism favoritism or such a stratification of player character ability that some people might as well not bother playing anymore that destroys groups the last thing i'll say on the milking and the xp and the milestones verse and milestones is if you're using these types of things as rewards storytellers do your due diligence know your table if you've got a bunch of go-getters and everybody wants to do something, you can test around with milking experience points on a shorter-term campaign or a longer-term campaign. But understand, if you're playing experience points and you're allowing that, <clears throat> they're going to advance far faster than you ever wrote your campaign for. That's the other thing I realized in that. They advance very quickly that way when you start doing that. So you got have to find those happy mediums. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that I wanted to go ahead and talk about, and we're going to have the pleasure of having Jason Ward and Piercy from Accidental Cyclops Games on the game, on the show again in a couple of weeks. But one of the things that was in the Real Thing RPG that was based on the Powered by the Apocalypse system, which was a new construct for that game, it was not native to the Powered by the Apocalypse system, was the whole discovery system. Is that as you advance, and normally in particular when you failed, but role-played well, you would get a discovery where you would learn something about your character or you would learn something about somebody else that you were playing with. And I think those kind of soft benefits or role-play benefits really can't be understated as far as what their importance is. I run a super collaborative game style anyway, so it is a nice mechanic to to rest on a little bit and to introduce because it works pretty natively into the type of game that I run. But I've continued to go ahead and find ways to try to introduce that more because I thought that was a really interesting way of rewarding roles, R-O-L-L-S, and role play, R-O-L-E play, in a way that rounded out characters. It gave the players something to sink their teeth on. It was almost like rewarding the player, not the character in, in some strange way. But I think that was a really nifty way of working in advancements and rewards directly into the rules that way and making them so integral to the gameplay. It's okay to reward both the player and the character. They are, in the end, one person. I would go so far as to say, here's the deal. Players are at your table, not characters, right? The friends you have, if you're playing a game with friends, or the connections you're making, if you're playing with people you've met anew, either online or at a local shop or at a convention, they are the people at your table. They're the ones that need to be having fun. So anytime you can have a reward that the players also enjoy and make use of, as well as the characters, you've got to win. The player gets excited about it, too. I have to say, I absolutely loved it because of the several nights we put those sessions together for the real thing where I was Mm -hmm. rolling hot. And I enjoyed it because I was being successful and story and we all role played that shit out of our characters like <laughs> one of the really, finest really, playing really experiences we've ever had yeah. built on fantastic mechanics mm-hmm. right and without a doubt with but, mike from 19 hits the dragon yes and was what fantastic I, in it as well 
Absolutely. But one of the things that I realized is there was also nights where I rolled like dog crap. Like last weekend, yeah. every game I played, I rolled crappy. I had a character die on Friday. I had a character mm-hmm. die on Saturday. And that character was in a D&D game. I had a character die in a DEC game on Saturday. I had amazing fun in both games, by the way. But what mm-hmm. I found was great about the real thing is anytime I failed badly – or I got that nice middle roll or whatever where I wasn't necessarily successful. I got this discovery. It got to the point where I was hoping for failures because the discoveries and the ability to to riff and create some of my backstory that I my my amnesiatic character didn't remember yeah. was better than anything that was happening in that moment. It was like I get to piece together a story. And as we progressed in those discoveries started integrating my character with your character, my character with Mike's character. And we were learning the mystery of the game through these discoveries. I'm like, who cares if I advance in any other way? I need to keep failings just so I can get us the mystery solved. And that was very unique and amazing. I agree a hundred percent. I can't tell you how much because that first session for three quarters of it, my dice were fricking hot (laughs) and I wasn't failing, which seemed cool. We get in the fight with that first crazed vampire in the beginning. Aristotle's laying on the bed, half dead. A bunch of people get injured. (laughs) Travis was fine. He stomped her head like a grape. But a little while later, I'm like, but man, I haven't got to do any of the fun, fun discoveries yet. And yeah. and then you guys advanced for the first time before I'd ever even failed a roll. Yeah. And one of you did. And I'm like, oh, crap. If I don't fail, I don't advance too. Well, shit. And that was really conflicting because on the one hand, I'm playing, I'm doing well in the game, and I'm happy that my dice are hot. But on the other hand, always yep. succeeding doesn't exactly help poor Travis advance. Yeah, That was a really interesting it, it, mechanic. I loved it. That was one of the things that I thought was most genius about the way that team put together that game. Think about the complexity of that for just a minute, where the bulk of the gameplay is based on giving your players information. They have to solve this mystery, the mystery that's going on inside the club and with their new natures, but all of the things that are leading them to figure that plot out are totally collaborative and prompts that they're given to answer questions. There's probably an entire episode in there just breaking apart that cassava melon and figuring out what's on the inside, because I'm not even really sure how you right. construct something like that. Where like Those discoveries, they're just oh. prompts. We could go any direction with any of those because it's not like they were super specific either it's like they vaguely had a direction to them that we were that we had all known each other and that we were all on a team of some sort there was any number of directions that those prompts could have gone and yet it still drove us towards the plot and figuring all of that stuff out it's ingenious they were really well written yeah and you're not wrong because like the prompts they could have gone in any direction but they had just enough specificity to them they were things like revealing additional relationships between us as a group so at that point the game mechanic that they're using is drawing the party closer together and some of them would be like i specifically had to come up with a memory about how i knew the sorcerer from before and something that i did with him that nobody else was involved in 
that was tying one of the characters yeah. to the sorcerer. They each had specific things that also tied to the plot, just enough specificity to keep the plot moving in the direction that they designed it to go. It really was impressive now that you're making me think about it but open-ended enough yeah. that we could come up with anything so it seemed impossible that you could weave this together but it was yeah it was fantastic no two plays of that game would ever be exactly the same nope. unless they had exactly the same players who by design wanted to pick the same stories because <laughs> i have a sense that the type of prompts as far as connections between players how you met players, those were any failures that happened while we were in the room and in the scene. Connections between players and various NPCs happened in the second scene. Connections yeah. that showed potential betrayal or strengthening of relationships between players happened in the third scene. That's it how progressed. it kind of went. It progressed very easily. So it, it was did. really well designed. So the nuances, the window dressing on that house we were building varied. Which room led to which room, which characters right. got connected. That was all variable. But everything in that first scene was all about how you met at least one other player. No, and it really as was. we failed, he did a good job of saying, okay, so I already had Lee Wanika meet this guy. Now I want this other person to meet this other person. Even if I failed twice, yeah. I might've had something that was like one time it was a connection. The second time it was a solo thing for me. And so it was very yeah. well structured in that regard. Brilliant yeah. design. And it's really a great way to illustrate how information can be the reward for your players, because that's what drove the role play between the four of us at the time was that we all wanted those little nuggets. We wanted those little morsels of information. I wanted to know what your character's connection to my character was. How did your character know me from before? Mm -hmm. All those sorts of things. What are you going to fill in about my background through your prompt? I wanted to know that more. And so it, it drove us really to get deeper and deeper into that character. And because then once a discovery was made and you learned something about my character, that was now reality. I had to go ahead and role play as if that was true. Like there was the whole connection about your character being a football player and my character being the guy that was like scrutinizing the tape and everything like that. And that whole connection like did not exist yep. until you came up with that. And so it's like, oh, okay, what do I do with this now? Absolutely fantastic. But again, using information as a reward for the players to drive further quests for more information. Bringing the party and together and the world more to life, which was fantastic. That's why we, as a podcast and as storytellers, are such a fan of collaborative world building, which Josh has really introduced me to more than I had been involved previously. But now I'm a, now I'm a diehard, sold fan on it. It's a great way to bring the party together. And what we're basically talking about is that... The real thing and the way that they wrote it is a master's class in collaborative world building and something yeah. that we probably should spend some more time discussing off the air together and how to break down how we do our prompts to tie them more integrally into the story the way that they did. Sometimes, not all the time. There's a lot of stuff there that we could learn from. It was, But you're 100% right. Information as a reward sure. can be its own reward and it can be more than enough.
Yeah, there's a number of games. I would point listeners to the spy game actual plays that we did about a year and a half ago, that one-shot series that we did as something we did because one collaborative world building was part of that as well. But information was a big part of the rewards as people rolled for different things. They found different information, which provided advantages in the various situations those characters came across. Oscar, played by our patron Dan Fields, was really good at rolling that. He was the info guy. He was the hack. Very much. What we're talking about is untangibles, whether it be knowledge or info, whether it be boons, hey, NPC character, major character, notable character owes you a favor. Those are important rewards as well. They may not come up in that exact session, but those are rewards for further down the campaign trail, so to speak. Those are the types of things that work. Connections with other characters in our STA game as our crew does different things and they make friends with other NPCs and those NPCs come back. Those are things, those connections are going to be important. We did an episode on sidekicks. Those are rewards for the player group based on how they role play with a character, whether they keep a sidekick with them or they chase them away. Those intangibles can be monumentally important to the enjoyment and the flavor and the depth and the breadth of your games. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content? live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans. Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go a little off the rails here and I'm going to, I have an idea for a concept, but I don't feel like it is fully fleshed out. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out there okay. and see if we can beat it up a little bit and get some more meat on the bone. And Glenn, this is probably a concept I think that you would be familiar with because you, you played Skyrim before. I'm thinking about the stones of Berenzia, right? Which are again, those like pink floating stones that you basically find scattered throughout the entirety of the game in weird random places and can't do anything with them until you find the entire collection. And so I'm looking at that, that kind of thing, that kind of, for lack of a better term, that mechanic through a lens of rewards and saying, how can you take a side quest type item like that where, and use it as a reward for role play or for incredible scenes or for even just really super successful roles and use that as a reward to tease your players into a side quest or another adventure where they start finding these stones or they start finding these things and they don't know what they are. And then as they get more and more of them, they start getting information to go ahead and piece that together. I feel like it's a decent idea, but I'm not sure that it's really fully well formed. So I wanted to kind of workshop that a little bit. If you tie it to something, say, because you're going to get something by the time you find all of the stones of Baranzaya and you turn them in, right? the end, you're going to get some kind of a reward. So if you're making it something that they're collecting from around the world slowly throughout the campaign, it should be something epic and in-game that's going to 
drastically change something for the players if it's a straight up reward as opposed to the object of a quest. But say you create a set of legendary weapons that are specifically designed for your players, but they're this is that's just an example of a reward. But they're <laughs> hidden, lost, something. Each little piece could have another bit of information about how to find them, or if you go with magic crystals, they could combine to slowly be able to form the crystal that will be the focal point that on some kind of big Alembic device that shows the location Indiana yeah. Jones style when the light comes through and pinpoints yep. where you find them. You could come up with all kinds of MacGuffins on the other end that they're earning if that's what you're angling for. I I would go so far as to say that, and Glenn uses the phrase MacGuffin, and I think that's really the way that goes. I think the way to make that really sing is to have each of those pieces not only equal a whole that's going to be rewarding, but I think each of those pieces needs to offer something. So I in my head, I go back to Tom Baker's Doctor Who year. So any fans who've been big Doctor Who people back in the day, they'll remember the Key to Time series. I believe there were seven, but there's a whole but basically – It was a season where Doctor Who and Romana were chasing down these things called the keys to time. There's a big thing that had to happen. They had to have all seven keys, but each of the keys did a separate thing. It had to be found through this great adventure. They finish the adventure. They get the key to time. It transforms into its key form or crystal or what have you, but it offers some kind of reward in that moment. You could do that a number of different ways. You could do it similar to what the Doctor Who did then, or you could do it, as Glenn said, a separate magic item that each item is its own reward. It can give a player or each of the players a thing, but when they all have one of these items, they are now the trio that does this great thing. In in that regard, I would look to Voltron, both the original and the new series. Basically, this adventuring party had to go out, adventure, and find each lion. Each lion was the reward, but when they finally got all five of them, X number of episodes in, they now got Voltron. And that's the thing. They had to find the pieces to get the thing. Yeah, uh, the Infinity they, Stones and the Infinity yeah. Gauntlet, too, for having yeah. the ultimate power that Thanos wanted. Same kind of gig. Yeah. Or you could not to say wish stones because Terry Brooks would want to rip you off, but wish moats hmm. or something along those lines. You could come up with the little yeah. stone. You collect enough of them and it turns into a whole wish. That's something built into some of the games where you actually get a wish. Oh, that's um, or you could have an yeah. artificer god or an artificer celestial or yeah. fiendish, re- regardless, who, if you find different moats of something that carries his favor, he'll build you something of your own custom design. We can even take it to Dragonlance. If you look at the Legends series, what was that if not a fetch quest? Raceland had Hmm. to go (laughs) and get different things. One of them was actually convince a a priestess of the greatest god of good to fall in love with him as this major evil person in order for that <laughs> sacrifice to actually work to get his goal. So they, these each had their own rewards at the end of the day one of Raceland's greatest challenges was I want this reward. I want her to love me and I want to love her, but 
do I want this power more? That was actually part of the deal, right? It was like that was his one of his challenges in that series. So I think anytime you can have your rewards be pieces of the greater puzzle or pieces of the greater story, that's wonderful. And that's half of this reward conversation we're having. The other half is each piece has to be able to to provide some kind of benefit, whether that benefit be untangible knowledge or tangible, I fight better or I am defended better. It's got to have some kind of benefit in the moment to be worth hanging on to, to see it to its end. And then you always, as a storyteller, need to escalate that benefit as you go. Hmm. But again, keeping in mind those things we talked about, balance and fairness amongst players, all of those types of things. So that, while things can't need to, the tension needs to escalate as far as the level of importance, but that minimal benefit in the moment needs to be relatively balanced among whoever's getting these items. On that note, and working with the wishmote thing I was working a minute ago, so it could be like a little glowing bit of reality, this wishmote, because I'm really liking this idea now. And especially if you're playing like D&D, it adds up to actually being able to use your own wish spell, however many it takes. But you find it, now it's just hovering and floating there. And whoever touches it, it like absorbs into them. And when they get enough, they can make their wish. But with each one they absorb, and I'm going a little crazy here now, but you could actually chart out a way that they could spend it. Say each individual wish mode that they collect is worth plus one to a single skill that they choose to apply it to. So if they want to have plus one to perception, they can have plus one to perception. That way it's not game breaking, it's not major. But say for five wish motes, they could adjust something a little bit higher up in the game, whether it be their spell resist DC or a saving throw DC. And then each time they gain a new moat, they can rearrange the way they're spent until they finally get it and they can adjust themselves as they go. It could be cool. It could be an interesting semi-complex reward system that didn't give them a lot for each moat but they got a big reward at the end and a small benefit as they went kind of thing. I think that's got some merit. That could be cool. It could also be as simple as you have the benefit of being able to get, have two inspiration at any one time. Each wish mote gives you the ability to have an additional piece of inspiration to save an additional. Okay. Or in terms of when you're charting out your small benefits, that could be one of them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different ways. And again, what we're talking about here is let the stuff reward equal some untangible reward in the moment. So it leads to the greater reward at the end of the campaign. So your whole campaign is bent on getting to this big reward, but people are enjoying each step along the journey. Yeah, it's like a constant side quest. Stuff is story and story is stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. Along the way of stuff, real briefly, I was going to say, along the way of stuff, typical rewards, equipment, whether it be mundane or magical, paying attention to how game-breaking some magic can be versus not magic being, homebrewing, magical or, or wondrous items that don't have big, huge mechanical in a fight benefit, but have really cool, I'm yeah. the people laugh and joke around or when I go to town because I can do X with this thing. Yeah, we talked like, about that with the Three Wise DMs where like they're running this shared campaign world and they have different tolerances for magic items and magic presence in their games. I'm going to go ahead and give one of my players this thing, but I recognize that, you know, that when they play in Joe's game, it's they're not going to be able to use it, that kind of thing. And so understanding that balance is very, there's a lot of nuance that goes into that, into that balance. Yeah. A tangible physical reward in game. 
doesn't have to be something that's going to influence game mechanics like a statted weapon or anything either. There's a lot of personal flair that individual characters, if you know your characters, that you could gift somebody with through magic items that's not specifically game-breaking. But you can also go beyond that and start working in real property, real estate, and things like that. A tangible reward like, hey, look, here's a base and a stronghold. And some followers now that Lee Wanika is holding up strongholds and followers into the camera for me because he could he sensed where I was headed. I, it was my next thought, and I wanted yeah. to give that shout out to the folk, our friends over at MCDM. Yeah, keep, keep yeah. In carry my, on. In my riffs game, in my riffs game, the base that y'all took over, I designed that for y'all to take over because I knew y'all would think it was cool as shit and want to take it over. So yeah, y'all earned it. You fought through. You cleared it. You took it. From the FTA, the From the Ashes Association, which is a thing in my riffs world, you, you took it and made it your own. But that was a big reward. Like, y'all were super excited about it. Wolfgang was setting up his stills in the big open hangar bay. People were picking out rooms. It took up almost a whole play session just figuring out what y'all were going to do with it. So it doesn't have to be something game-breaking, the greatest weapon known to man. There's a lot of physical rewards you can give somebody within the game, even if it's just they've got a craft, but they're always adventuring them giving them a follower who happens to say, bro, I'll happily set up shop in the t- in town and man the shop and mind your business for you while you're away and help them set something like that up. There's a lot of ways that you can reward your players with in-game Ab- stuff. Absolutely. And coin is always good. The only caution is make sure their ability to purchase thing doesn't let them purchase their way out of story. You need it to be an addition to the story, not an escape from the story or a cheat code to the story. Just be aware of how that interacts. Yeah, I think that I, I, what you can, I think in all things, you have to go ahead and make sure that you are leaning into the story, no matter what you give them. Right. As I think right. that if, if as a reward, and maybe this is one of those situations where it's like a, 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 a reward that you're giving them, but it's a re- like an underhanded kind of sneaky kind of reward where sure they may get extra coin because they did something really cool, but then maybe the local, maybe they got the coin from someone with underworld influence, or maybe they got the coin from someone that the local town guard doesn't care for. And the town guard tries to confiscate it or the local baron decides that they're getting too big for their britches. And so he sends his personal guard to go ahead and steal their golds, like whatever. It's got taxes. Yeah, exactly. There's any number of ways that I think that you can lean into the story. And at the end of the day, that's really what you want to give them, right? Regardless of whether it's a magic item or it's gold or it's a whatever, wish mode, which I love that, by the way, Glenn, that's a a fabulous idea. But regardless of kind of what it is that you're giving them, at the end of the day, what you want to give them is the experience, not experience points, but an experience. Story. Absolutely. Rolling that into the story is really what's going to make it special. And depending on the game you're playing and the system you're playing, you got to roll with it. Circuit Adventures doesn't have monetary systems, but there are resources involved. Or if you're playing a Klingon game, money can come in. If you're playing a Ferengi, money should come in. Maybe that Ferengi is not a Starfleet person, but he is somebody who hangs with the crew. He still has a business to run. He still has to deal with the rules of acquisition. His That individual character's goal is still to... Pat, travel, uh, travel the river and get to the great vaults and all of that, right. those things. In fact, <laughs> maybe they're a Frankie that just has a gambling addiction and they're constantly working on la- trying to 
acquire through the next Dabo game or the next, if they get into old earth poker or whatever. A- absolutely. So when I said, don't be careful in the cheat code, that is actually more cautionary tale at lower levels. If you're going to have an exploratory campaign, you don't want the players being able to necessarily buy the one thing to bypass all the adventures that you had written, right? So you as a storyteller just need to be aware of what you give them. If you wanted the adventure to be about the travel between City X and City Z, if that's what you wanted the experience to be, that's what you discussed in Session Zero, that's the experience you promised, if you give them so much money before they begin that journey that they can buy a teleport spell, because that's in your world, You've cut your own nose to spite your face in that situation. So you just need to be aware of that. That's what I mean by a cheat code to the adventure you wanted to run. It doesn't mean you can't give them resources. It could be you've got this money. Here's your promissory note. The bank's on the other side of the trip. So basically what you're saying well, I, is you need to find a way to balance the things that you're giving the players. Just if it's a magic item in terms of mechanics absolutely. against enemies and throwing off the game. And even in another example too, that, okay, sure, they may have enough money to go ahead and buy that teleport spell, but maybe that teleport spell costs a little bit more than they think that it's going to. And maybe when they get teleported to the other side, they no longer have enough money to go ahead and stay in a tavern or to go ahead and whatever like that. And so they wind up sleeping on the street. And then they wind up dealing with petty thieves and pickpockets and stuff like that they have to go ahead and deal yeah. with or that kind of thing. That's exactly what you're saying, Lee Winika, which is yeah. think about it in advance. You won't have to find a way around it. Any reward that you're offering, if you give them too much of it, it could it could cause issues. You need to find a way to make sure it's balanced. Make sure you think about the ways that it could affect your game further down the line. Absolutely. Yep. You got to think of unintended consequences when it comes to rewards. Generally speaking, the sky's the limit. Go for the gusto. If it adds to your story, absolutely give it every time and twice on Sunday, as long as you've thought about where that could go on Sunday. Yeah. So bouncing briefly back to like inspiration and the other things we were talking about, but just (laughs) in terms of a shout out to Benito for one, but just a special DM inspiration idea that I got from him that I really liked. And I'm not sure I'm going to do it exactly the same way he did, but I'm thinking about incorporating it into my games. But I play in Streams of Spiro with Liwanika, and Benito runs it. And it's a streamed game. It's important. The story is super important. And for a scene that I set up with Hesphestus, Liwanika's character, there was a an off scene between adventures and other things just going on where we were training but discussing tactics so that Zendred could make a point about varying our tactics so we're not predictable. But Ben was so happy with it that he gave out a special DM inspiration, which was effectively a D10 that I could write down and add to any role that I wanted to one time going forward, my choice this session, Mm. the next session, the session after that. And that was pretty hot. That was pretty exciting to have that sitting there on my piece of paper, knowing that when I hit that critical role, and it's not game-breaking, yep. it just means that one time I'm almost guaranteed to succeed. That one time right. when it, when I'm when my bacon is in the fire, I've got a way out. But knowing that I had that Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card was pretty hot, and I was pretty stoked about it. Yeah. That was pretty cool. So kudos to you, Benito. That one, that one definitely made a difference in how your player felt about the game. And in terms of an edge that wasn't breaking but was exciting, spot on. 
Benito has been doing that kind of thing for as long as I've been playing at his yeah. table. Back in 2.0, when I played Razan the Second, and I formed a party to go to the City of the Dead to defeat the Big Bads, a party of NPCs, one of the things I did is I spent a ton of downtime before the term downtime te- technically existed. But I spent a ton of downtime training, and I decided these are the different things I wanted to do with this team so we would be effective in that situation. There was a couple things that happened from that because we had actually switched at some point in that process from 2.0 into 3.0 at that point. Actually, I think it was a 3.0 game now that I think about it. But in that moment, he gave the party the benefit of a specific feat that I had written for the game, a homebrew feat, close quarter combat, which allowed us to coordinate and do things. He basically just hand waved and said, all of the characters in this group now have a new language called combat hand signals, basically basically had Razan teach everybody like ranger hand signs to stop and whatever. So the whole group could operate silently and give each other orders. And that was just a done deal. He just said, yeah, I like that idea. So he gave us a language, not game breaking, but it allowed us to communicate quietly. So we had less opportunities to notify the bad guys we were in town, that kind of thing. And then in later games, he would, in some cases, if you were very successful and did certain things, he might even give a feat Usually not a big one. Nobody was getting Sentinel or <laughs> Polar Master, but he might give you some of the lighter feats, the more flavor feats. And in 3.5 days, feats, there was a ton of feats that were very much background type flavor feats. And so he would easily say, yeah, you've trained enough downtime. Take this flavor feat. Didn't really give you big bonuses, but it gave something really cool and unique and signature for your character. He's always been doing things like that. And those are definitely the kinds of rewards that work. So if you're playing in Pathfinder 1, some of those non-potent feats become really good options. It's not as great an idea in 5e or 5e clones and such like that, but there are still those that can be there. And certainly you can homebrew ones that are just better. Like honestly, Slasher, Crusher, Piercer are three feats that are awesome. They do have an ASI involved, but rarely are they game-breaking in and of themselves, but they are so clutch and signature, and players will definitely feel rewarded if you've got a character who says, hey, I want to train with this sword guy for blah, 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 and you're like, I want to reward that. I thought that was very cool. You did some cool things. You took you sacrificed time where you could have gone with the other part of the party to get all these other great magic items, and you stuck behind to do this. They get all these magic items. Meanwhile, you were training to help the story go forward. I might give you Piercer because you trained with that sword guy. I think things like that could be very useful in the right games, in the right hands, with the right players. Definitely worth looking at and good options for rewards. Absolutely. How about players? Cool. Either one of you ever reward your players? I played in person. I bought everybody a set of dice. This was a while ago, but I had a player at my table who basically found what she thought was a pet at a biz- at an animal bazaar, and it wound up not to be a pet. 
but to be a, a foe that they wind up having to go ahead and kill the next game. And so in, in consolation, because I made her kill her own pet in game, I hadn't realized that the creature that I came up with was actually like mythologically based. And I found a t-shirt with a picture of it on, on the front. And so I bought her a, a t-shirt like that to go ahead and commemorate the time she had to go ahead and murder her own pet. She then, of course, paid me back by buying me my world's okayest DM t-shirt. So that's a, nice. You know, it, is that where that yeah, came from? Yeah. It's a nice yeah, shirt. That is where that, yep, absolutely. Yep. That came from my friend. I love that. So. And now that the shirt has a story, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, that definitely escalated its coolness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't buy that for myself. Uh, no, I got that for one of my players, which makes it definitely better. <laughs> yeah. So I have actually, when I was playing in my Palladium, my last Palladium game that I ran at the Citadel, one of the things I did is every Christmas I would give and I would give the player something. So one year it was dice another time i gave a uh, little dollar store laser pointers because we played at the citadel we always had terrain and all these things so it was easier to have people point the things and have one person move the characters in some cases but with a laser pointer is great for players to be able to point to their character and move it along and aside from we did have three teenagers there telling them stop pointing it in people's eyes stop pointing it in your own eye because you know basically every teenager is luke skywalker when he gets his first lightsaber <laughs> Uh, yes, it is neat that if you stuff it far enough back in your mouth, it comes out your nose. But stop yeah. doing that. Yes. It, I yeah. get it. Not cool. But I always felt that those types of things were cool. Glenn, you gave tokens that your dad would promptly take from folks during the course of the game. But little things like that, <laughs> I think, were are always fun. You can go extravagant if you have the resources or you can go pretty low key. Definitely rewarding players is a thing and it's worth doing. Yep. There's also the year that we uh, we commissioned a picture of of our Patreon actual play game with all of their characters sitting around a game table. We commissioned that from Zoe Pumpkinhead to go ahead, and it's still one of my, one of the coolest pictures I think that we've ever had uh, we've ever had done. One of my favorite with all the yeah. various PCs and even some people that didn't play anymore. We had Illidaz, the uh, the Tiefling that was played by our friend Oscar over in the UK, and uh, a bunch of other folks in there that yeah. haven't been playing anymore, and a bunch of like little references and things like that, like the black cat that was like around Simeon's feet from one of the games yeah. there like a, b- a bunch of like little like references and everything like that it was just really cool we commissioned that for our Patreons one year to go ahead as a gift so yeah that was fantastic yeah, yeah. good so. times good times cool. and at the end of the day that's what rewards are about it's about enhancing the good times so whether you're doing it by providing something to the players whether you're doing it by providing benefits to the characters mechanical intangible experience or, or otherwise or meta currencies that's all it's there for it's there to enhance the game enhance the enjoyment of the game that's why we do this thing is to have fun right to have an experience like you said Josh the goal is the experience not the experience points Really well said. We got to capture that piece of audio, by the way. But that's what we're talking about, enhancing these experiences and really having a good time at the table. All right, let's take a look here at the schedule and see what's coming up. So let's see, this coming Tuesday, we have part three, the final part of Swords to Plowshares, the current Star Trek Adventures game episode that's running on. That'll be the finale of this episode. This is the episode, of course, run by Lewinika there. So that'll be that'll be a good time here, how that piece of the puzzle. Oh, can uh, I tell you a funny story about that? Sure. I'm just going to interrupt the conclu- the closing real quick, just to say that my <laughs> entire life, I thought that was swords to plow shears. I don't know why. I'd apparently never 
read it or not read it much, just heard it. And mm. when I was doing the first set of art, which for the first part of that episode that just came out, I had to stop and look it up because I'm like, oh, God, Lee Winnick has got it spelled wrong. It's not plowshares. <laughs> <laughs> but guess what? Yeah. Nope. It was me. Much like definitional, every once in a while, the blind squirrel finds a nut. Hey, yeah. That was one of my absolute favorite magic cards when I played white decks. So that's it's actually where I got the term, yep. and it does play into the nature of the story. Yep. It's actually, and now we return you to our normal episode conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see here. So that, that's Tuesday. And then on Friday of this coming week, we have got friend of the show, Chrissy X from the Danger Dames coming in. We are going to be picking their brain about Powered by the Apocalypse games. I am really looking forward to that. We have talked about Powered by the Apocalypse games a lot. We have shows Cased several of them here on the channel, but we've never actually sat down with a real honest to God powered by the apocalypse games expert. We're going to be picking Chrissy's brain to go ahead and find out uh, really what makes Powered by the Apocalypse games tick and, uh, and be bringing that to you guys. Really looking forward to that interview. I think that's going to be a really good time. And then the week after that, we talked about this earlier in the show. We've got uh, Jason Ward and Jason Piercy coming back on the show to talk about the next chapter in their saga based on Faith No More albums. Their next Kickstarter is coming out this fall. The next chapter is going to be phenomenal, so I can't wait. So we're really looking forward to to having them back on the show. We've also got some awesome Savage World stuff coming up here at the end of the month here. So we're really looking forward to some good stuff. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. We'll talk to you next week. So have a good night. We love you. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await.